Jesus. Passage that Moses read earlier. Just reading about Moses. How many thought about it? How many? I see. Okay, I, I, I'm not crazy. I'm sitting there thinking. I'm so glad I cut it off before he broke the two tablets. That's all. I'm sitting there thinking, what's he going to do? Anyway, I love it when he's up there reading. Does that? We're in Exodus 32 for a few minutes tonight. Um, great song selection. It fits exactly what we're talking about tonight. Sometimes you don't notice that. Uh, the song leader uh, and the preacher will notice that. Maybe uh, other people don't get it, but we, what we really want to do the best we can is make the entire service flow with the same kind of theme and idea, and tonight it did. It was a beautiful job, and I'm grateful for Drew taking the time to do that. He was bugging me Monday. What, what do you want to sing? What do you want to sing? I told him what the topic was, and I said, you're the song leader. You pick them. Uh, but here's kind of what I had, and he did excellent, and so I'm, I'm grateful for him doing that tonight. Uh, and he is trying, he's improving himself all the time. I'm grateful for that. Um, Exodus 32, what's the deal with the golden calf? Um, you have this theophany, that's what they call it, this revelation of God on the mountain. The people experience God in a very dramatic fashion. And soon after that, as God offers them a covenant, gives them the opportunity to either accept it or reject it, they enthusiastically agree with God, we want this covenant with you. So they've experienced God, they agree to follow him. So near in time are they to that journey from Egypt to Sinai that had some of the amazing miracles and certainly the ten plagues and they can question not at all, how did all that stuff happen? We serve a sovereign God. And they had that experience, and they had that vision, and they have They have a lot of things that they'll never forget in their heads. And then they have this exposure with Moses, right? First little stress test comes. Moses is gone for a long time. And they bolt. They go back to a golden calf. And we stop the reading short of the response of God. But God's ready to obliterate them right then. He's ready to tear into Aaron. He's ready to tear into people. He's ready to start all over and not be the nation of Abraham, but the nation of Moses. God is so angry and no doubt why. First little test. And they fail miserably and embarrassingly. It almost seems hard to understand, doesn't it? Except for the fact that this happens over and over again in our lives too. You know what we know? We know we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's not one thing that He does that shortcuts us that short-circuits everything. We have forgiveness. We have redemption. We have atonement. We have fellowship. We have communion. We have the Holy Spirit. We have forgiveness constantly flowing in our lives. We have the revelation, inside information of the entire plan of God in our hands. And how often, even with all these benefits, do we override the truth of God, go AWOL, and sin on our own? We act like the golden calf is just... <gasps> Well, that happens to us all the time, too. 
think I know what happens. I, I, you, you listen to God speak in Jeremiah chapter 2. And what he says to the people is, what did I do wrong? I've, done, I've led you and I've provided all your needs and I'm, I'm a source of real supply of water. I am, a, I am a living well that's bubbling up with water and you, you reject me. You turn away from me so you go over there and you dig your own wells. You dig your own cisterns that are cracked and won't carry water and they aren't really solving anything and they just make you thirsty and frustrated but you're going to go your own way instead of with me. And there's God pleading, what did I do wrong? And he divorces his people. That's what the goal is. It's a rejection of God and substituting him for something else or something else for him. And I think I know why it happens. It's the same way it happens with us. They got anxious. Did you get that in verse 32? When the people saw Moses had delayed coming down from the mountain, back in chapter 25, 26, we see that Moses said, I'm going to be back. But that's almost 40 days later. The people are getting anxious. They're getting restless. We call it impatience. It's the emotional pain of wanting to move on to the next thing but not having any guidance or information for that next thing. And I'm sitting here in limbo. I want answers. I want direction. I want action. I want it now. When am I going to hear about the next job? When is that person, that special person, going to come into my life and give me companionship for life? When is, when is my college information going to come in? When am I going to know what my next thing is? When am I going to know where I'm going to live? When am I going to know what, where I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to do for an occupation? All our lives, we're waiting for the next thing, and it makes us have this emotional turmoil inside of us. It drives us crazy. It wasn't that they were rejecting Moses. It was that they were tired of the absence of Moses. He had been the face of God. When they were unsure, when they were uncertain, they could always run up to Moses and ask him, and Moses would give them some reply that they would know is God's word. And so they were content. He was right there. They could see him and access him. But now he's gone, and nobody really has taken his place. And they're sitting here in the wilderness ready for the next move, and they have no clue what to do. Listen, when a baby sees mom and dad leave the room, there's some anxiety. And you understand it. And you train them for hours at a time. But imagine baby not seeing mom or dad's face for 40 days. We would do the same thing. Uncertain of the future, uncertain of the, the present, they're just about to go crazy. I think boredom is the number one enemy of people today. They just, when I have a moment when I'm not sure what I should be doing and I don't have anything necessarily to take up my time, it's just a little annoyance, but it becomes a big deal. Hundreds of thousands of people sitting in the wilderness waiting for what's next, and they're waiting day after day after day, just sitting there doing really nothing. Waiting for the next thing. You know what idleness is? The devil's workshop, right? It's the boredom factory. And they don't know what to do next, and their anxiety starts to build, and they, just start, to, they start talking to each other about it, and they start sharing their anxiety, and it starts to boil over. This is what's created... Right now in our country, I think, the drug epidemic, there's a bunch of people not engaged constructively in anything, 
And they're sitting around wondering what the future holds and what the meaning and direction of life is. And there's no answers for them. They don't have any they don't have any direction at all and all of a sudden the emotional pain of the boredom and of the uncertainty and the lack of direction overcomes them they've got to reach for something to medicate that emotional pain and they come up with something right they come up with opioids or crime bad relationships these people came up with an idea there on the the foot of Mount Sinai when they're ready to leave and go. They, they start drawing from their past experience. They remember days in Egypt. You know what the people did there? They, they got this golden cap and they walked around it, you know, and they did all these things and they came up with something, right? They came up with something tangible. And so what we're going to do, uh, and, and as they traveled from there, they've met other nations along the way and the other nations did almost the same thing. There's something familiar. There's something that we know about. Let's do this. We can create our own experience. We can whip up our own frenzy, right? And so they look in their history. What's familiar to me that eased this pain in the past? And so they go to Aaron, and they don't say, Aaron, what can we do, or what should we be doing? No, up right now, Aaron, get up and make us a golden calf. We've already decided what the solution is. We want you to do it. And so Aaron doesn't waste any time. This is evidence, by the way, that even in the ancient societies, men did wear earrings, I hate to tell you that, mamas, but Jewish men did wear earrings because whenever he decides, I need some gold, he says, give me your, and it's all the old and the young and the men and the women, they all start, where did they get this jewelry from? Anybody has any idea? When the, they were leaving the Egyptians, the Egyptians just, wow, this is your consolation prize, your going away present. It's interesting, isn't it, that they used some of their jewelry to pay for the tabernacle, chapter 25, and now they're using some of their, journal, their, their jewelry to pay for the calf that they're going to bow down and worship. Be careful what you use your stuff for. You're responsible for how you spend your stuff. And so they, he, he gives them a bunch of gold, and he melts it down, and he fashions it. Now, later on, he's going to say, oh, it came out of calf. No, he fashioned it. He had a little tool that he used that he fashioned this golden calf. And there it is, they're breaking the first commandment and the second commandment, the third commandment, and probably the fourth. And someone rises up, and it doesn't really say, the text isn't really clear, they rise up and say, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt, and they're all happy because they've got something to look at now, right? Something to medicate this inner turmoil that's just driving them crazy out there. Aaron hears that, and I think he's problem, he, he finds it problematic because... They do use the plural. Here are your gods who led you out of Egypt. And Aaron is like, no, that's not right. Let me, let me just, tomorrow we're going to have this feast to Yahweh, to God. In other words, he's saying, this, aren't, this is no new God. This is the same God you've always followed, but now we've got a new image for him. He's trying to at least salvage the first commandment. It's a weird thing, but it's all bad. But here's what idols do, really. You see, God comes with instructions. 
God says, let me define myself. I'm going to define myself with words. And so he comes and he says, here's the kind of God I am and here's what I'm expecting out of you. And he gives clear boundaries. And God, he's telling you exactly how to worship him on his terms. If I'm going to be in your life, here's the terms. I set them, not you. The Ten Commandments were not created by us. We didn't take polls and decide which ones we're going to agree. No, God comes down with it. It's top to bottom. And he says, here's what it's going to take. But when you build an idol, an idol doesn't say anything. An idol is this. This, it's, it's really it's, it's an item for you to project yourself off of. I can worship this God on my terms. That's what I want. I want to be able to determine what's right and what's wrong. And so when I build this calf, this is my God. In the name of religion, I can make my own rules up. People do this all the time. Paul warned about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll see this on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when he, yeah, I messed you up on the song. We'll go back there in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, do not be idolatrous as some of those people, or idolaters as some of those people were. And he quotes Exodus chapter 32, verse 6. They sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. And by the way, this is not Frisbee and, and football. This kind of play is revelry. This is like no holds barred. We're going to do whatever our emotions. So you work yourself into a frenzy, feeding your face, right? And then you get up and you start celebrating the fact that you have no rules now and you can make your own rules up. And usually when human beings make up their own rules, it's really bad. And that's what idolatry lets you do. And that's what it leads to. There are things that we turn to as well to medicate our emotional pain when life doesn't turn out the way we really want it to and right now I'm in a lull and I don't really know which way to go I'm waiting on something to happen we turn to certain things to make us feel better or be forgetful entertainment choices we make food and drink choices we make and pornography and the pursuit of things that attract us and make us feel something or feel nothing or relationships that for a while help us to forget things this is what the world offers us to fill that void the emotional pain creates so what's your golden calf it's something that in the past seems to have worked and it's hard to shake it. And when you get in those moments of intense emotional stress or anxiety, you are prone to going back and doing again. Even though you know full well it's not good for you. What creates this? And we're going to quit. What creates this? Number one, impatience. I want this resolved and I want this resolved right now. And how often in Scripture do you see God commanding His people to wait? I want you to wait on me. I just want you to wait. I'm going to come through for you, and I'm going to come through for you big, and you're going to know it's from me. But in the meantime, I expect you to wait until the time is right. Most of us hate God's timing. Case in point, Abraham. I'm going to give you a kid. He tries everything to rationalize different plans, including the Ishmael principle. When you don't wait on God and you decide you're going to do it yourself, you mess up the world. I talk about that all the time. The world's messed up because Abraham didn't wait. 
and your life often messes up because you won't wait either. You jump the gun, and I'm so lonely, I want to marry the next person who comes along, and then all of a sudden you realize there's, th there's worse things than being single. Impatience. You have to wait sometimes. Those who wait on the Lord will mount up on wings like eagles and soar, right? But you have to wait on him. L waiting causes boredom. Boredom is an emotional pain. And it makes you reach for something that will fill the gap. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 37. And it's a psalm about fretting. Fretting is what you do when you're anxious. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Just wait on him. Just wait on him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. When you go to Facebook and you see other people who are not having to wait, and it makes you frustrated because you're having to, maybe they're waiting because maybe, maybe God has satisfied them in their area. Maybe God's answered, or maybe they've jumped the gun, and they think it's a great thing that they've done, and they give you a picture on Facebook, and you're thinking, they're not having to wait. Why should I have to wait? And all of a sudden, we've got peer pressure. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. Do not fret when they carry out their wicked schemes. Quit fretting. Quit fretting. Instead, wait. Wait on the Lord. There is a right time to do things, and there's things to do right. He goes on to say, don't get angry. Don't get mad. Don't get anxious. Just wait. Just wait. And often out of impatience, we reach back for a golden calf. Second would be a desire for a God who's tangible and that I can sense. I want a God I can feel. False worship in the Old Testament was associated with actual idols. As Isaiah makes fun of them, he says, you guys cut down a tree and you use some of it for firewood and you use some of it to build your houses and then you build an idol out of the rest of it and you bow down and worship to it as if it has more power than you. You just burn some of them and you just built your house out of some of them. But now you're going to worship some. It doesn't make any sense. But you want something you can see and feel. Human beings are this way. In the New Testament, it's not so much that. It's we want something that we can, can feel and sense and experience in our bodies. I want to affirm that there is a God. And I want him to affirm it by making me feel him. A lot of false religion is started in the name of wanting to feel God. That's why in Romans chapter 1 it says they exchanged the, they, although they knew God, they knew they should glorify God as him, they exchanged the glory of God for created beings like calves. I want something I can feel and touch. Third, a failure to remember and to appreciate. Listen to Psalm 106 as the psalmist looks back on this experience. He said, Horeb, they made a calf and worshiped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for the image of a bull which eats grass. They forget the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by, by the Red Sea. They forget all the great things God's done, and all of a sudden, they're just all they're looking at is the things God hasn't done yet. And why hasn't He hurried up and done this yet? And why hasn't He done that? Forget all the good stuff He's done. Forget all that. Stephen says the same thing in Acts chapter 7. 
Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they returned to Egypt. They would rather have the old Egypt stuff than the new God stuff. They make a decision to go back to that old stuff because they just forget. And that causes you to choose another God. So you want, you want not to have to wait. You want a God you can touch. You have this blissful ignorance and, and forgetfulness of all the great things he's done. And then you want, you want to be able to give yourself permission to do things you know that are not right. Which came first? Believing in a false God or wanting to do sinful things? Which came first? It's hard to tell. It's the same as the chicken and the egg, right? I think most of the time, people, when they go and start believing false beliefs, they have a certain behavior they want to engage in, but they don't have rights to do it, so they change their God so that they can find some endorsement to do what they wanted to do all along. That's kind of what I see. I mean, I think for generations, for instance, homosexuality, for instance, would be one of these. There was a uniform agreement among all of God's people that said it's against the will of God. It's clearly not what God wants. But today there's a bunch of these scholars out there running around saying, well, you know, if you interpret it this way and look at it sideways and you drink a little bit of alcohol and you look at it cross-eyed, you might be able to get God to agree to this. Are they really authentically wanting to understand Scripture or are they wanting to twist it to do whatever they want to do already? And that's what false worship does. There are certain activities that I can do that will make me forget for a while. Jumping around and having orgies is one of those. And so what do they do? They, They make a golden calf and the first thing they do is they eat and drink to it and they rise up and they play. And all of a sudden they're forgetting for just a little while. Here's the weird thing about this. I think... I think God did a disservice. Here's, do you remember uh, when they first got to Mount Sinai, God comes down in smoke and he speaks to the people real loudly and they all hear him and they're terrified and they're shaking in their boots because God has just spoken. And they said, don't you ever speak to us again like that. In fact, why don't you just let uh, Moses have the experience and come talk to us and that's a grave mistake. It would do our world a great, wonderful service if God every once in a while would come down and scare the living daylights out of us with his holiness, don't you think? It would be a great thing for him to speak, shatter the silence, and let people know what he really thinks, and just scare the living daylights out of them. And then we kind of straighten ourselves up. And, I was, and the people of Israel were straight for a while, and then all of a sudden they forgot the further they get from that experience. But you know who's had that experience all along? Moses. The one faithful guy, the one God wants to start all over with is the one who's gone up the mountain and been with God for 40 days and had that wonderful experience of closeness with God. But he cannot come down the mountain and give them that same experience. You cannot have a vicarious experience with God. Now, we understand this a lot. Those of you who go to these marriage retreats or you go to these wonderful spiritual experiences and you go to them and you come back and you try to tell other people about it, but it's like, oh, hum, wait another week, you'll calm back down. I go to the fitness center in the mornings and I'm sitting around going, you know what, I wish I could pay him 50 bucks to do my exercise for me. That would be nice. Vicarious exercise. Say to Matthew Walton, why don't you just run all day long, burn off 375,000 calories, and then and I'll pay you for them. That's one of those things you can't do. 
And you can't pay a preacher to have a spiritual, a spiritual experience enough for you to be able to preach you a sermon that gives you the same growth. You can't do that. And if that's what you're wanting, you're never going to find it at Valley View or anywhere else. You've got to pursue your own. You've got to climb that mountain and get close to God. And see, the thing is, these people wanted a, spirit, a spiritual experience. They just didn't want to have to fear God in doing so. And so they said, God, we don't ever want you to talk to us like that again. And we don't want you to have that experience again. We don't want the clouds. We don't want the thunder. We don't want your voice. And because of that, they don't have the fear. And because they don't have the fear, they go to a golden calf the first moment they have a chance. Those 40 days, they should have been doing something to draw close to God, but it's awful hard to do that. Dads, this is just a warning for you. You go off to some retreat somewhere as a father and you have a spiritual experience. When you come back, your, your kids and your wife haven't had that. and You can't give it to them. We've all got to invest in it. We've all got to pursue it. We've all got to seek after it and go find it. There's one last thing I would attribute this to. It's poor leadership and poor instruction. These people didn't have Bibles, and they didn't even have a copy of the Ten Commandments yet, but they knew what the Ten Commandments were. And by all means, when they come up with an idea, let's build a golden calf, they know full well that that's against the will of God. They know that because of the ten things they know from God. So it's not like this is, well, I can kind of see it. No, there's no way. Somebody, as they got to talking, as they got to talking among each other, because this wasn't one person making a suggestion. They're talking amongst each other and, and, and amidst of each other, and they build each other into this anxious crescendo, and they all decide we want a golden calf. Someone in there should have remembered commandments number one, two, and three. And by all means, when they go to Aaron, Aaron should have had the integrity and courage and spiritual authority to nip it in the bud. And I want Valley View to be a place where you don't just come and bring whatever life you want, every question you want. We'll just endorse whatever you want. We want everybody happy here. I want us to have a leadership that has the guts to say, this is not right. You can't do that here. I hope you have some friends on speed dial that don't just endorse whatever you want, that you have some friends in your life who have the guts to look at you and say, that's not the will of God for you. I know it's not. You need to have somebody like that. These people all got to talking, and nobody was willing to contrary anybody, to go against anybody. I hope you have friends that build you up and encourage you all the time, but you need to have friends who will tell you the truth even if it costs you the friendship these people didn't and they pulled out the golden calf that's what happened that day and it's not all that weird they had a clear God from, a word from God they should have known and they had leaders who should have told them neither one of them functioned the way they should and uh, those people went astray so while I'm shocked a little bit at their rebellion, perhaps, I can't say that the idea is foreign to me. We all have golden calves back there in our past, things we turn to to make us feel okay about doing wrong. It may have been a person. It may have been an activity that you know is wrong. It may have been any number of things, but it's back there, and you know where it is, and it still rears its head every once in a while when you get into feelings of anxiety and tension. 
There's a song I want us to look at, and it's, uh, I'm not, I don't have the nerve to lead it, but I want you to look at it. It's, I didn't realize it's in our songbook, but number 670, take you on a tour of these verses just for a second as we close, and it's this. Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame. You know what I want? I want such a walk with God that no matter what else is going on in my life, I have a calmness in my center right here they can't be disturbed or made anxious to the point where I bolt from him I want a closer walk with God where he keeps me centered a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the lamb that I constantly follow verse 2 where is the blessedness I knew when I first saw the Lord I remember this feeling when I first came to truth where is the soul refreshing view of Jesus and his word I remember this verse 3 is the one I want you to get the dearest idol I have known Whatever that idol be, the dearest one, what, what's the dearest idol that you've ever made for yourself? The one that came through for you at different times, you knew it was wrong, but it, it kind of eased that, that tension inside you. What, what was that? The dearest idol I've, on, I've known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. I want that golden calf gone, burned up, <clears throat> dissolved to ash. So shall my walk be close with God. Do I want a close walk with God? That's the only way the walk will be close, when he's the only thing I go to when I'm in pain. Calm and serene my frame, so pure light shall mark the road that leads me to the lamb I don't know what your golden calf is but it's all there it's been there before it's still there and I want to admonish you when the tension gets high wait for the Lord wait on him don't replace him with something else don't replace him with anything else because nothing else really works. It seems to for a time. It makes you forgetful. It makes you forget for a moment. But then it's worse when the memory returns. And it hasn't helped you at all. God really wants to be the one you turn to. Isaiah yells this out in all the Old Testament. Please turn to me when you have that inner turmoil. That inner angst. That inner tension. That inner stress. Please turn to me I want to be the God you turn to because that's when you know what your real God is we are playing church in songs who you turn to when the tension rises on Thursday afternoon there is your God and if you want a closer walk with God turn only to him this evening maybe you haven't made the Lord of heaven, your God. Maybe you haven't responded to God. Maybe you haven't chosen him as your God. Because of that, you've got all this stuff in your life, this AWOL stuff, this golden calf stuff. Put all that aside. Name the name of Jesus as your real Savior. Confess your sin and be immersed. But that's not likely most of you. Most of you have signed on. But there are moments... When the tension rises, you turn to something else, and it breaks God's heart. He wants you to wait on him, and he promises you it's worth the wait. And if you've gone AWOL on him, 
The strange thing and the wonderful thing is he's always waiting for you to come back and he's always willing to embrace you when you do. So if you need to come back to God, there is your call for this response this evening. What you might need to do, do it now as we stand and as we sing.